1: Today, we're going to continue our conversation about an area of marketing that's very close to my heart, brand development and marketing strategy. Joining us is Mitch Duckler, who is a managing partner and brand and marketing strategy consultant at Full Search, which is a strategic consulting firm that helps clients achieve enduring growth through brand strategy and development. Prior to working at Full Surge, Mitch started his career as a CPG brand manager at Unilever and transitioned to the consulting side through working with a wide variety of brands, including Coca-Cola. And yesterday, Mitch told us about his view on what marketers need to do to establish and maintain meaningful brand differentiation in the digital age. And today, we're going to discuss the tools and techniques for brand evaluation and optimization. Here's our interview with Mitch Duckler, the Managing Partner and Brand Development and Marketing Strategy Consultant at Full Surge. Mitch, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thanks, Benjamin. Good to be back.
1: Glad to have you here. Excited to talk more about brand development and marketing strategy And yesterday we covered a lot of ground and we talked a lot about the different ways which companies can think about developing a brand and how they can find the overlap between their company mission and goals and what the market is asking for. And one of our conclusions was brands and markets are constantly developing and you need to evaluate your brand performance over time to make sure that you are aligned with what you're trying to achieve. So I want to talk to you today about some of the tools and strategies that you use to evaluate a brand and what you do when you're starting to see brand metrics shift. Let's start off by talking about how you evaluate a brand. What are the KPIs you think about to understand whether your brand is getting resonance?
2: I tend to instruct clients to look across three different categories of metrics that are all important, but are highly different. And the first is what we would call perception metrics, which, as the name would imply, it's how you are perceived, what your image is among customers. They include basic purchase funnel things like awareness, consideration, purchase intent, good old fashioned brand health, but they can also include brand specific attributes. Like if your brand is all about convenience or lightheartedness or irreverence, Tracking the extent to which you are actually associated with those perceptions. And a lot of brands do this first bucket, perception metrics. There's a second that I would call behavior metrics. So if perception metrics are how do customers view you, behavior metrics are what do they do because of it? And this is where a lot of the digital ones that we talked about yesterday can come in. Are they browsing your website? Are they sharing? Are they writing a review? Are they downloading an article or a thought piece from your website? Those are more passive, but are they doing things that are more active with your brand and engaging with your brand, like submitting a contact us form or requesting a proposal for you to do work, or actually <laughs> the best one, making a purchase. So those are all what they do. Their behavior metrics, and they're fairly easy to measure, especially in the digital world. And then the final is what I would call performance metrics. And these are the ones that are often overlooked or at least not linked to brand. But this is the so what. What do you achieve as a result of building a strong brand? And here there are non-financial ones and financial. Non-financial performance metrics can include things like market share or household penetration or a share of wallet. And then there are financial ones, which are things like sales and revenue and profitability and margin. If you really need all three of those, how do consumers view you? What are they doing as a result? And then what's the impact on your bottom line? When you look at all three of those, you kind of get that 360 degree view of the state of your brand.
1: What's interesting, I've always thought of the brand metrics to be primarily around awareness, sentiment, and then really how I think about it, maybe this is just a digital centric way of viewing a brand is how you're filling the top of your funnel and that mostly can be gauged through direct and organic traffic. Talk to me about some of the tools that you're using to evaluate the various metrics that you lined out. Are there marketing survey tools? Is there a suite? You know, there is Adobe for the creative suite, there's a handful of advertising tools which you can aggregate together. When you're trying to evaluate
2: your brands, is there a software package that you could use? Especially in terms of perception metrics. There's a lot of different research companies out there. And qualitative and quantitative research, I think, in recent years is becoming increasingly more accessible and more affordable. Um, It's becoming cheaper, especially with um, the advent of, of digital technology. It's becoming a little bit more affordable to once a quarter or even just once a year go out into the market and take the temperature on some of these different metrics and how your brand is doing against them. Survey Monkey is a great example of a do-it-yourself package where they can give you a sample or you can give them a sample and create a questionnaire and go out and take a pulse for really very little money. It's becoming increasingly more easy and accessible than it's ever been in the past.
1: Yeah, I think survey tools are definitely a place where it's become easier for brands to evaluate their metrics. Some of the other tools that I've used, Google has a survey tool. I think it's like a dollar per answer. There's also a tool called Servata where you can actually poll people that are not specifically your customers. Like SurveyMonkey tends to be very much about email outreach. You can publish a survey and try to drive traffic to it. But most of the time, I feel like brands are using SurveyMonkey or their competitors to try to engage their existing base with email. There are tools like Servata and Google Surveys where you can reach out to a broader market and gauge their interest.
2: That's true. And I would also say something is better than nothing here. So even if you can't afford that, or maybe it doesn't even make sense for your market, if you are maybe in a more niche area, or maybe a little bit more B2B, where you're not dealing with the masses and quantitative research doesn't even make sense, do qualitative research. There's no substitute for IDIs, right? In-depth interviews where you sit down with customers or prospective customers or lapsed customers and ask them their opinions. And what you lack or trade off in terms of the quantitative and statistical significance, I think you gain in terms of depth and richness, right? Because you're able to ask much deeper questions. You're able to follow up and dive deeper into issues that might be arising. So, You don't have to be a purist or perfectionist, even qualitative interviews, I think can be very helpful to assess the status of your brand.
1: Yeah, there's a fair amount of technology there as well, outside of just doing direct outreach to people that you know are your customers. There's also a handful of tools where you can basically watch someone use your product and have them guide you through their experience without you asking questions like usertesting.com where you can actually find people that are interested in using your product and they can engage with it and they will walk you through the product experience as well as a way to get an understanding of how they think about your product, but also did it meet the brand expectations that they had set going in. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. When you're talking about things beyond just understanding the sediment of your brand, the awareness, when you get more into the performance metrics, how are you evaluating the brand's impact on conversions, the more direct path to revenue?
2: Yeah, I think that is something that is just an increasingly challenging thing for marketers to do is to establish direct correlation between brand equity, if you will, and business performance. and I know there are some tools coming out, especially with uh, increases in technology and the sophistication of market research that can do that. They can draw more of a cause-effect relationship between brand building and bottom line performance. Right now, it is very difficult. It's a lot easier to establish a correlation, right? And I think a lot of brands are doing that fairly well. But when you really get down to causation in the digital world, like if you are doing a certain number of activities and they result in a certain level of acquisition, you're able to isolate that and draw a cause-effect relationship. It's a little bit harder with something as intangible as brand.
1: The only thing that I've seen that has been a relatively consistent measure of brand, even across the earliest of stages of technology companies, is... Looking at NPS and trying to understand when your NPS score increases or decreases, what is the impact on revenue? That tends to be the most simplified way. Are there any other hacks or metrics that you look at, any rules of thumb that you can gauge when how your brand is doing and when you need to step in and maybe have a brand intervention?
2: I would go back to the perception metrics. So If you go back to our conversation yesterday on the basis for differentiation being a unique point of difference, right? Or something about your positioning that is meaningfully different. When you understand that, and if you believe in that wholeheartedly, that that's the key to building a strong brand, and you start to track that measure across two different dimensions. First of all, how important is that attribute that you believe you're different on? And second, to what extent are you associated with it versus competitive brands That I think is a pretty good proxy too. If you believe you are meaningfully differentiated on being a brand that is socially conscious, let's say, understanding if that continues to be important to customers and understanding the extent to which you are perceived in that light vis-a-vis other brands is critical. If you start to see your brand dropping on either of those two levers, it's certainly a warning sign.
1: I heard an interesting interview yesterday, actually on the Bill Simmons Podcasts of all places, a, a sports podcast that I listen to regularly and it was with John Skipper who was the former I think president of ESPN and he made a statement and I'm paraphrasing here that was something to the extent of your brand really matters until you have a great product and it stuck out to me because I think a lot about brands and brand development as part of my practice and also as part of the Martech podcast and the interesting thing to me is he said, essentially, brand matters for small companies. And then when you get big and you have the resources and you have the products optimized to the point where it is exceptional, your brand matters less and less. I always thought of it as the opposite way, where I feel like early stage companies set their brand foundation, probably don't spend a lot of time typically making sure that their brand is honed in and very precise. And then most companies go from not paying much attention to their brand to as they scale, they start doing things like awareness and repositioning and brand development. Talk to me about how you think about the evaluation and prioritization of brands, the difference between being the early stage companies and being the later stage enterprise level
2: companies. My perspective, and I'm probably a little bit biased, is that it's important at all phases, obviously. I've had the similar experience that you have. And I tend to find that my clients are more or less, I would say, at a minimum kind of mid-tier Fortune 1000, if not Fortune 500 companies. And when people ask me, well, do you only work with Fortune 500 companies? I'm like, no, but those are the ones that seem to have the greatest appreciation for brand. So they are, to your point, ones that are more developed further and more mature, further down in the life cycle.
1: I'm going to jump in here and add a little color in terms of the reason why I think that that happens. Sure. Is that early stage companies are so focused on validating the product market fit, mostly to try to find funding and to be self-sustaining, that if they're taking on an activity that doesn't directly drive to the bottom line it is not something that gets prioritization. Even if it is at the detriment of the long-term health of the company, it's more like every dollar in needs to produce a dollar out and it needs to be trackable and immediate. And that's why the early stage companies don't focus on brand development as much as later stage companies do, because they have the budget to go protect the nest long-term.
2: I agree. It's not tangible enough for them. So I think that's what we've seen, but I believe. If you define brand the way we've been talking about brand through this conversations, right, that it is more than just a name. It is more than just a trademark. It is more than a slogan. It is more than even just your image or your reputation, but it's really the external manifestation of everything you do. And it should drive things like your product offering and your experience and the categories into which you extend. If you think about brand that way, As a much more central strategic component, I think it makes sense to prioritize brand even in early stage development and even with startups and not just leave it to the domain of the Fortune 500.
1: So one of the things that sticks out in my head, we started talking about the brand evaluation, whether it's a big company or a small company. If your brand metrics are poor, then you need to go back to the drawing board and understand what's going on within your company and understanding more about your target market and try to make sure you're finding the overlap between the two. When your brand metrics are exceeding
2: expectations...
1: Mitch, what do you think are the ways to try to take advantage of positive brand sentiment? And how do you think about extensibility?
2: Brand extendability to me is about, and I think it is to most marketers and marketing consultants, it's how do you take the positive equities of your brand and extend them in logical ways, ways that are very consistent with or parallel to the positioning. And I think that makes sense. And it's a best practice. I think something that is very often missed by marketers, though, is when they think about what their brand stands for, and therefore what areas they should extend it into, they think about it too tangibly and too logically. So in other words, we are a sports brand, so we're going to look for other sports-related categories, or we're a beverage brand, so we're going to look to extend into other beverage categories. And if you really have a strong brand, you should be using softer, more intangible equities of your brand. Again, think about your persona, your intrinsic qualities things like quirkiness or irreverence or honesty or integrity or timeliness, things that are a little bit more intangible, but that you own and that customers consistently associate you with. And then what sort of categories do those attributes make sense for? And then extend in that matter. And it's really that that leads to more transformational growth, as opposed to if you think very narrowly and define your brand very narrowly in terms of features and tangible dimensions, you are inherently going to think about more limited growth and much more fragmented growth.
1: Yeah, I think very much, and maybe this is just my mindset, being very customer-centric, that if you're building a successful brand and you're seeing your brand's metrics being best in class, there is the opportunity to extend your brand, to take on similar products. As you mentioned, if you're a beverage company, you find other beverages. The thing that comes to my mind is that you've built an audience with a large collection of people. So you need to think about what their needs are first, as opposed to extending your products to be similar products in the same category. You know, like if you are a beverage company that has positioned your brand to be the beverage of choice for women that have young children, instead of finding other drinks that they like, you can always find other products that women with young children need and then extend your brand that way. So I agree with you that a lot of companies are thinking very practically about we have product A, we need to make product B as opposed to product two.
2: Agree. And I think what you just said is this example we talked about earlier, inside out, outside in. So what I had mentioned, was take a look at your brand and what are its intrinsic attributes or equities. And you talked about the outside, right? Take a look at your customers and what are they looking for? And I think they're both important, right? To identifying growth opportunities and extendability. But the bigger point is, which I think we both agreed on, is to look beyond the obvious and look beyond very tangible feature-like attributes, which inherently lead to incremental growth. It's what I call the flavor of the day, right? Well, we've got grapes, so now let's uh, offer it in strawberry, (laughs) as opposed to where can this brand go? What does it really mean in terms of its essence? And then which categories does that naturally lend itself to?
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, and this is maybe just my work with early stage founders who are not necessarily marketers. But the thing that confuses people or maybe makes people uncomfortable to invest in brands is the lack of certainty. It is an investment in something that is growing over time that is gonna have a dramatic impact on your business. Your reputation in most cases is your business, and if you can't protect that and grow that, then it's gonna limit the ceiling of your company. On the flip side, it is something that is intrinsically hard to evaluate, and it is hard to find a direct correlation between business results and brands in the short term, It's something that really needs to be measured over a longer period of time. So being and developing a great brand takes patience.
2: No doubt about it. I'm sure you always talk to your clients, you know, a brand is an asset. It is an asset that you invest in and infuse equity into and build over time. And it requires a great deal of time, effort, and quite honestly, money and investment in order to be successful over time.
1: Okay. Hey, Mitch, before we let you go, tell us a little bit more about your book. Where can people find it? Anything else that we didn't cover that you think is in an area of interest to the MarTech community?
2: So the title of the book, as you mentioned before, is The Indispensable Brand, Move from Invisible to Invaluable. And it is all about, again, defining differentiation in an entirely different way and helping readers define what is different and unique and special about their brands, and then reflecting it in every aspect of their brand development, whether it's their positioning or their brand experience or their extendability, their digital presence, etc. There's an entire chapter on digital activation and the role of brand within it, which your readers may find of interest. The book officially launches on April 15th on Amazon, and it is also displayed on my website. So there's information on there along with a free two-chapter download that I'm making available to anybody that would like it.
1: Awesome. Well, Mitch, I appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Always great to talk about brand development, marketing strategy. As I mentioned, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So thank you for indulging me and for being a guest on the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thank you, Benjamin. It was a true pleasure. Enjoyed speaking with you.
1: Okay. That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Mitch Duckler, Managing Partner and Brand and Marketing Strategy Consultant at Full Surge for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Mitch, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Mitch Duckler, M-I-T-C-H-D-U-C-K-L-E-R, or you can visit his company's website, fullsurge.com. We're also going to include a link to the Indispensable Brand book on Amazon if you're interested in pre-ordering or ordering that book. A couple of links to follow up in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for all of our guests. If you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions and marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. -J B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every weekday. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. If you prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we've also launched a -a once-a-week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and our guest contact information. To subscribe to our newsletter, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter. Okay, that's it for today, but until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.